Hi, friends, and welcome to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast, where we discuss Bible prophecy from a pre-tribulational, premillennial, expositional, and rapture-ready point of view. This is Joel Dover. I'm the former professor of eschatology and dean of biblical studies at Calvary Chapel University, a local pastor for more than two decades, and a student of God's Word. Grab your Bibles and let's dig deep. This is the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. This is your host, Joel Dover. So glad to have you on the program today. I'd like to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. We'll be continuing through our study of the book of Daniel here in season 2. And, of course, our goal is to discover prophetic texts pertaining to the last days. What does the Bible say about the end times? What does the Bible teach us about things that are to come, the sequence and order of those events That's our goal here on the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast, and of course we take it with an understanding that the Lord will rapture His church prior to the tribulation, that the tribulation is a season of the outpouring of God's judgment upon the unbeliever, and that of course the Lord will return at the end of that at the second coming to establish His literal reign and rule. So we are, listen, we are pre-tribulational in our view of the rapture. And we are premillennial in our view of the return of Christ. And so we're working through that framework as we uh, come through Daniel chapter 7. And let me say to you that we're not trying to superimpose our theology on the Bible. It's the other way around. We have this theology. We hold this pre-trib, premillennial theology because of our understanding of the teaching of the Bible. So as we go through this text today, of course, and others will be... Uh, unpacking that, and I'll be showing you how we've arrived at some of these conclusions. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, we begin a new section in the book of Daniel. I've been telling you over the past number of weeks that Daniel breaks down nicely into two halves. The first half, chapter 1 through 6, records the visions that the Almighty has given to particular kings. And now, as we get into chapter 7 and following, There's a shift that takes place. The rest of this book are Daniel's visions, those visions that the Lord has given him directly, and he's going to share those with us and the interpretation. So here's what you're going to see, and it's important so that you don't get confused. There's some overlap here. If you can think about taking the second half of Daniel and laying it on top of the first half chronologically, now Daniel's going to show us that while these kings were receiving visions and dreams, he was also receiving some of them of his own. And so we get to now get into the mind and to the heart of Daniel directly as he walks with the Lord and hears from the Lord. So why don't we begin in Daniel chapter 7. I'll be teaching out of the New King James Bible and trust that you will follow along. In verse 1, there's a timestamp. The Bible says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions on his head while on his bed. So it's the first year of Belshazzar. In chapter 5, we talked a lot about about Belshazzar. We know that he was the last of the Babylonian kings. And the Bible here says that Daniel has a dream and vision of his head while on his bed. So these are Daniel's dreams, dreams, visions given directly to him by the Lord. And verse 1 says he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. So he shares it with us, friends. He writes it down, recalling, you know, the major parts of the dream so that Here we are able to, uh, you know, read this and study it later in history. We thank God for that. If you're Daniel and God speaks to you periodically through visions and dreams, I don't know. I just assume that you would keep a pen and paper at your bedside. And I would encourage you, friends, to do the same thing. Uh, Maybe not that the Lord's going to speak to you through direct vision and revelation as he did to Daniel. But haven't you noticed that some of our greatest ideas come to us in the middle of the night? We wake up and we think, oh, I need to remember that. 
Uh, boy, it's so much more helpful if you write it down because you'll certainly forget it by morning. Okay, in verse 2 and following, we find that Daniel has a vision of ferocious beasts. I want you to notice that none of these are household pets. They're not domesticated animals. Each one is wild and each one is dangerous. Let's read. In Daniel 2, the Bible says, Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said to it, Arise, devour much flesh. Verse 6, After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Verse 8, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, from before whom were three, pluck, three horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Why don't we pause there for a moment in our study? and work through the vision. The Bible says that it's nighttime, and in the vision, while Daniel is dreaming during the night, he sees the winds stir up the four winds of heaven, that's north, east, south, and west, all the cardinal directions represented here, stirring up the sea. So he sees a choppy sea, a great storm upon the sea. I think it's important for us to stop for a moment to briefly discuss how we know to take passages literally or figuratively. When you come across a passage like this, ask, am I reading poetic literature? Is this intended to be highly emotional writing? Uh, does it appear to be allegory? And if it is, you have to explain that. Why should we not interpret it literally? Is it a psalm? Is it a song? Is it a hymn or another passage, a, a type of literature designed to express emotion? Am I reading a parable? Am I reading an idiom? Or is it a figure of speech? Uh, if it is, then I probably shouldn't take it literally. I should look for the figurative or allegorical meaning. And then lastly, is there any textual indication that this passage should be interpreted figuratively? So, Let's apply that to what we're reading here in Daniel chapter 7. Is this poetry? No. Is it uh, highly emotional in its writing? No. Is it a psalm, a song, a hymn? No. Is it designed to express emotion? No. Is it a parable? Of course not. Is it an idiom or figure of speech? No. Is there any textual indication that this should be interpreted figuratively? No. And so, friends, if you answer no to these questions, then chances are you're reading historical narrative of some kind and we should take historical narrative in its plain, literal meaning. So in this vision, Daniel sees a sea. It's choppy. The winds are stirring it up. There's no reason for us to make that anything other than what Daniel says it is. He sees a picture of the sea, some kind of sea, and it's, there's a great storm upon it. And Daniel says that he sees in his vision four beasts coming up from the sea, each one different than the other. In verse 4, beast number 1 was like a lion. I want you to note the simile here. It had eagle's wings, he said. And as Daniel watched this creature, it lifted up presume, uh, from the earth 
Uh, Presumably by the Lord, the wings were tucked off. It stands upright as a human, and a man's heart was given to it. The second beast, the Bible says, verse 5, is like a bear, and it was raised up on one side. This is significant. Three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, and they said to it. Now, you have to ask the question, who is they? Who is they that speaks? But they, presumably the Trinity of the Lord here, says, arise and devour much flesh. Beast number three is a leopard or like a leopard. Note the simile here with four birds like wings uh, on its back, four bird like wings on its back. Verse six, it has four heads and dominion was given to it. Again, there's a significance to the, the, the heads of four. And then the last beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. Verse seven, and the Bible says it was devouring, it was breaking into pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. This particular beast is different in essence than all the other beasts because Daniel says in verse 8 that it has 10 horns. And of course, we know uh, from elsewhere in the Bible and just our general study that horns in the scripture represent kings or kingdoms, represent dominions. And so while Daniel was considering the 10 horns, the 10 kingdoms, he saw another horn, a little one, come up among them. Three horns were plucked out by the roots And the little horn is established with eyes like a man and a mouth that speaks pompous, that is, blasphemous words. Now, let's keep reading and see what happens in the days of this fourth beast here, verse 9 to 14. And then beautifully, the scripture interprets itself. We don't have to guess about the interpretation of the vision. So look at verse 9. Daniel continues, he says, I watched till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. This title is used exclusively in Daniel chapter 7. There's nowhere else in the Bible where we see God called this uh, the Ancient of Days, except right here in the book of Daniel. Now, his garment was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him, ten thousand times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, verse 13, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, then all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Okay, let's pause there, and let's kind of work through here again. Daniel watches in the vision, and after the rise of these four beasts, after that, after the rise of this fourth beast, great and terrible, ten kingdoms, the little horn, uh, after all of that, Daniel watched until thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days takes his seat, that is the seat of dominion. This is God himself. Now, what a beautiful vision here. The Bible says that the revelation of the Lord here is that his garment is white as snow, his hair is white like wool. If you know your Bibles, we can't help but think about Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 to 20, where the Lord Jesus in his glorified state is described in John's revelation and appears just this way, wearing a garment of white as hair, white as wool, 
in Revelation 1, 9 through 20, this beautiful radiance shining forth from his from his eyes, just his majesty, his glory, the glorified Jesus Christ. Now here the Bible says that his throne was a fiery flame with wheels burning a fire. And of course, we can't help but think, uh, allowing scripture to interpret scripture of Isaiah 6 and also Ezekiel 1. So listen, friends, there are a few passages in the Bible where God's prophets have a throne room vision. They see uh, in their visions a picture of what heaven is like and what the Lord looks like and uh, what the throne is like. And so it's interesting that Daniel here seems to be describing in a very similar way the glorified Jesus of Revelation chapter 1, also the throne which is supported by the cherubim, uh, their wheels covered with eyes and burning of fire in Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel 1. Go back and review those passages because there is consistency in Daniel's vision with the vision of the other prophets, okay? Always, listen, always, 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 friends, when you read something like this, search the Scripture, see if there's anything similar to it. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Now, the Bible says that a fiery stream comes forth from before him. It has its throne as its source. And, of course, there in what is presumably the kingdom of heaven, if we're uh, believing the rest of the Bible, Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 1, Revelation 1, we're believing that this is in the kingdom of heaven and that a thousand thousands minister to him. Let me take you forward to Revelation chapter 5, 11 through 13, where the Bible says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Sounds familiar, eh? Verse 12, they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. So here Daniel in his vision, he sees thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000 standing before him. Again, it's hard to miss the revelation and to put those together and say the Lord, the Lord is giving revelation of similar things here in the scripture. Now the Bible says here in Daniel, the court was seated and books were open. The question becomes then, who comprises this court and this court of judgment and what is the judgment? Well, I believe that this refers to the coming final judgment at the end of time when God, when God will judge the lost of humanity. It happens, according to the scripture, after God has put asunder every earthly kingdom and it follows the inauguration of his kingdom. Now, friends, the judgment comes at the end, but it is eternally sealed with death. Hebrews 9.27 the scripture says, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And so understand that the judgment is based upon what a person does with the gospel, and the Lord will judge both the saved and the lost. Those who are saved will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ when they will be rewarded for their works, but stand firmly in the gospel. But the scripture says, John twelve forty eight, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him, the word which I have spoken, and will judge him in the last days. The uh, Listen, friends, the lost uh, will stand up before the Lord in final judgment and books will be opened and they shall be judged according to their works that they have committed upon the earth. This is recorded for us in Revelation chapter 20. It is called the Great White Throne Judgment. Verse 11 through 15 reads, Then I saw a great white throne, 
and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Hello. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone, listen, not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Friends, this is a discussion for season three as we get into the book of Revelation, but let me just quickly help you to understand the sequence of events here. The Bible teaches very clearly that at a point in time in the not-too-distant future, we don't know when, could be today, tomorrow, 100 years from now, 1,000 years, but the Lord imminently will return in rapture or harpazo his church. The church, the saints of God, will be taken out of the earth prior to the beginning of the tribulation. Why? Because it's consistent with the gospel. What is the tribulation? The tribulation is the outpouring of God's judgment and wrath upon the earth. Why? Listen, friends. Why would the Lord take upon himself the judgment, punishment, and wrath that we deserve at the cross? Why would he rescue Christians from paying the penalty of sin and death and then judge us for sin even unto death in tribulation? Listen, any view that the saints of God go through the tribulation is inconsistent with the gospel and misunderstands the purpose of the tribulation. The tribulation is the outpouring of God's judgment upon the earth for their unbelief. So listen, The saints of God are raptured out. The tribulation begins. Seven years later, the Lord returns. And after the return of Christ, the millennial reign, of course, ensues. And then uh, there is a resurrection, the resurrection of all the unsaved dead from all of eternity to stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment. Books are opened and the unbelievers of history are judged according to their works. And they will be cast into the lake of fire. The Bible says this is the second death. So if you don't know Christ... You die twice. If you know Christ, you die once physically, but you live forever spiritually. If you don't know Christ, you die twice, both a physical and a spiritual death. Okay, the Bible says anyone not found in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Trust that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and that your name is written in the book of the Lamb. Now, I'd like for you to note the sequence here in Daniel's revelation. When the little horn, which, spoiler alert, is the Antichrist, is slain, when that takes place, that is the point at which Jesus takes his dominion, his glory, he comes in the clouds and establishes his dominion glory, all the nations of the earth worship him. It's the establishment of his kingdom on the earth, a literal kingdom, not just a spiritual kingdom now. You see, friends, the kingdom is and is to come. At the cross, Jesus established the kingdom. You and I, by faith, are a part of the spiritual kingdom of Christ, but Jesus will in the future establish a literal kingdom where he will literally reign and rule on the earth and all nations will be subdued uh, by him to worship him. Okay, In verse 15 through 28, this is so beautiful, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel actually gives us the interpretation. And don't you love it when the Bible gives you the interpretation of these visions so that you're not stuck scratching your head and thinking, well, what does this mean? What is this about? The Bible makes it very clear. So let's read. Let's read 15 through 28 together. So we'll go through the rest of the chapter, and then I'll make some comments about it. Here's the interpretation. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. Well, I imagine that they did. 
16, I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Friends, you don't have to make up the interpretation. It's right here in the Bible. Those great beasts, verse 17, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. Hello, four kings. What do kings represent? They represent kingdoms. And where do they come from? The Bible says they come out of the earth. Verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. 19, then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was uh, different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with, with its feet and the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up, before which three fell, namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Then he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, and times, and half a time. Very specific. 26, but the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. 28, this is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Okay. Friends, there's the interpretation. It's given by Gabriel, the angel. And the Bible says here that Daniel was grieved and troubled by the vision. He's dealing with both spiritual anxiety and physical anxiety. He's grieved by this. 16, Daniel comes. He asks someone standing by in the vision. It turns out that it is an angel who explains all this. 921 affirms this is the angel Gabriel. So flip ahead and look at that. And he gives the interpretation. Now, we know Gabriel from the scriptures, not the only introduction in the Bible to Gabriel. Gabriel communicates this vision to Daniel. Gabriel's also the angel, if you remember, who announces the births of both John the Baptist and Jesus to Elizabeth and to uh, Mary, the mother of Christ, uh, respectively. In verse 17, these four beasts are identified as four kings that arise out of the earth. Sound familiar? Well, it should. I mean, it really reflects what we saw in Nebuchadnezzar's vision in, in Daniel chapter 2, the great statue vision. The lion here is Babylon, okay? And so as mighty as Babylon was, they're just men and they're defeated. And it's interesting that this vision, go back to verse 1, was given in the days of Belshazzar, which is the final king of the nation of Babylon. The bear, of course, is the Medo-Persian Empire. Daniel says it's leaning on one side, probably an indication of the greater strength of the Medes over the Persians. Most commentators interpret the three ribs in his mouth as the three major military victories of the Medo-Persians, that is, the conquest of Babylon, 
and then Egypt and also of uh, Lydia. And their conquests, like a bear, were very slow, but they were crushing and with great violence and with great carnage. The leopard, of course, in this vision is Greece. Alexander the Great is credited with the swiftest military conquest in history. And of course, by the time he was 28, you know all about this, his kingdom was established. And when he died as a young man, his kingdom was divided four ways and led by his military commanders, Cassander, uh, Lysimachus, Seleucus, and then Ptolemy. Most commentators look at Daniel's vision with the four sets of wings on its back and think of these four uh, military commanders that followed Alexander the Great. But really, friends, as in Daniel 2, the fourth kingdom is the focus of this particular vision. And when Daniel has this conversation with Gabriel looking for the interpretation, he's really concerned with this fourth kingdom, which is different than all of the others. Now, friends, obviously, if you're looking at the sequence of the rise and fall of kingdoms, you've got Babylon, the Medes and Persians, you've got the uh, nation of Greece, and then the next kingdom that rises is Rome. And so the fourth kingdom, clearly, historically, is the Roman kingdom. It's the, it's the iron mixed with clay kingdom from Daniel 2, from Nebuchadnezzar's vision. And I want you to note, if you will, thinking back to Daniel 2 and then looking at Daniel 7, the similarities between Nebuchadnezzar's statue vision and Daniel's vision of the fourth beast. In Nebuchadnezzar's vision, iron legs. Here in Daniel chapter 7, iron teeth. Nebuchadnezzar's vision, there are ten toes. Now here in Daniel's vision, there are ten horns. But now we find the little horn, the Antichrist, arises from this fourth kingdom and that this is the kingdom that Messiah will conquer. And it's in the midst of this conquering that the Lord returns in the clouds, the Bible says clearly here, and establishes a kingdom wherein all nations, tribes, tongues of the earth shall worship him, and it shall be an eternal kingdom which will never be conquered and will never pass away. Friends, what I want you to understand very clearly is that it seems abundantly clear in this text. Look back to verse 21, that it's in the days of this Antichrist when the Lord returns and establishes his kingdom. I mean, this little horn, when it rises, making war with the saints, persecuting Christians in a huge way, speaking blasphemous, pompous words, these kind of thing, uh, the Antichrist's mouth, right? Um, it's in the days when he rises up, the last days, listen, that Jesus will return. The Lord will make judgment in favor of the saints. He will determine this is the time when they shall possess the kingdom and the Lord shall return. And the scripture tells us, listen, that's when the books will be opened. That's when the final judgment will take place. It hasn't happened yet. That's when all the kingdoms of the whole heaven, look at verse 27, all the kingdoms of the earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high and the Lord shall establish an everlasting kingdom, uh, giving all dominion to the saints and every nation on the earth shall serve and obey him. So look, clearly, 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 we're talking about the Lord returning in the midst of the days of that little horn and establishing a literal kingdom on the earth, subduing and conquering all nations of the earth. There won't be, listen, there won't be a North Korea uh, living in resistance or China, uh, you know, saber rattling or uh, Russia or any of these other nations. There won't be a United States or Canada or any of these that exercise dominion upon the earth in this day. The Lord will reign. The Lord will rule. His kingdom will reign and rule on the earth and all nations will subdue him. And all nations, of course, will be given into the hands and dominion of the saints. It's clear. The Bible is very clear that it's in those days, the days of this little horn, when the Lord will return. So listen, this doesn't fit with the idea 
that all of this took place in the first century. Uh, there are some good believers, men and women who love Jesus, who claim that all of this is past. It's not past. It's future. Because Jesus is not literally reigning over the nations of the earth right now. We still have renegade and rogue nations doing their own thing, seeking after dominion, wars and rumors of wars and all these things. The world has not been subdued. Friends, we are waiting for, listen, a reconglomeration of that ancient Roman Empire in some way, shape, or form a 10-nation conglomerate, and out of that shall come an Antichrist. I believe he will subdue three of those kings and take their authority. We'll talk about that as we get deeper into uh, the book of Daniel and our study. There's more about this to come. And in the midst of the days of that one, that little horn who speaks pompous words, blasphemy, who persecutes and makes war against the saints, the Lord shall return and establish his kingdom. The rapture still occurs at the beginning of the tribulation, but understand that there will be people in the tribulation who are saved. There will be tribulation saints who lived through some of this. The Lord takes the Holy Spirit out of the earth through the rapture. The church is rescued from wrath, and it's a new dispensation. The tribulation is a different dispensation. God's program is different. There will be people saved, and then the Lord will return at the end of it all and uh, establish his literal reign, rule, kingdom upon the earth. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. Okay, a couple of quick items for review, and I think this is important. Uh, The Lord will give the kingdom to the saints. All dominions, all nations will serve and obey the Lord. Clearly, that hasn't happened in history. Clearly, that's future. Clearly, that hasn't happened yet, but it is to come. I want you to understand and know that the kingdoms of Daniel's vision here in chapter 7 are the same As Nebuchadnezzar's vision in chapter 2, there's a repeat of the prophecy. We should take that seriously. We also see again here that the fourth kingdom is different from all the others. It becomes ten different kingdoms that do not adhere together until the last days. Right now, these kingdoms exist, but they don't adhere to one another. They will in the last days. In the last days, they will adhere together. The ten horns will rise Then they will be led by a little horn who emerges from them. This is the Antichrist of Revelation. He will, as we'll see in Daniel and in Revelation, be an anti-God blasphemer who hates believers and will seek to destroy them. For three and a half years, he will persecute the saints of God, and then the Lord will come on the clouds at the second coming and will take away his dominion. At that time, the Son of Man will establish an eternal kingdom, and the saints of God shall rule with him. Every other kingdom shall be destroyed, no other kingdom shall remain, and his kingdom shall last forever and ever. Friends, it's at that time the final judgment comes to both kingdoms and to men. Books are open, and the Lord will judge men according to the books by the gospel for those whose names are found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, or by works for those who have rejected the gospel. Those belonging to the Lord will possess the kingdom, and those not belonging to the Lord will be cast into the lake of fire, the second death. And so I want you to look at our timeline And let's try to imagine where we are now. The Bible speaks of the rise of four earthly kingdoms, Babylon, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. The Bible says of that final kingdom, that fourth kingdom, that it will become ten toes that do not mingle together. In other words, it dissolves. The Roman kingdom was never conquered. It just dissolved into Europe. Uh, It doesn't conglomerate together. But we're looking for a time when the Roman nations will revitalize, they will reconglomerate, there will be ten kingdoms that come together in a global initiative from the old Roman Empire, 
It will probably uh, comprise part of the Medo-Persian nations in the Middle East. Think about Iran, uh, Iraq, those uh, Afghanistan, all these nations. And then in the midst of that nation, uh, there will be a rise of an Antichrist who opposes God, the saints, and who will demand worship. He will demand that the world worship him in the last days. In fact, when Daniel speaks about the saints being persecuted for time, times and a half a time, that three and a half year period, begins with the abomination of desolation when Antichrist uh, walks into the temple of Jerusalem, sits on the Lord's throne, demands the worship of the earth. And then in those days, after the Antichrist has risen, after the opposition and persecution of those tribulation saints, then comes the second coming of the Lord and the establishment of his kingdom forever and ever and the judgment. And so, friends... I want to thank you for being so attentive, and I want to encourage you to look forward to all that the Lord is doing. What are we waiting for next? I believe that we're waiting for the Lord to rescue and rapture his church prior to the tribulation. After that, a covenant that will be made in a very chaotic world between Antichrist and Israel, and then the breaking of that covenant three and a half years in, which inaugurates the great tribulation, followed by the return of Jesus Christ and the establishment of these things that we've discussed today here on the pre-trib prophecy podcast i thank you for listening i'd encourage you to like and subscribe and share the podcast if there's someone in your life who would enjoy this kind of biblical teaching would you share it with them would you help them to discover the podcast maybe a pastor a sunday school teacher a small group leader maybe a friend at work or a family member would you help us to get the word out about the pre-trib prophecy podcast and be sure to subscribe so that you can be updated every time that we drop a new episode and we try to drop on wednesdays so friends Thank you again for listening, and may the Lord richly bless you.